right, good morning, good morning, good morning. How's our summer crowd doing out there today? All right, man. You know, uh, I, I really have a word stirring in my spirit this morning. And sometimes when you're weak, that's when he's the strongest. So I just feel God's presence really just in this place and, and he's put me, he give me a burden. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 12. And um, I love preaching through the parables. We're in a series called The Greatest Stories Ever Told. Summer study of some of these stories. And um, these are some of the richest truths known to mankind. And I'm tackling stories I've never worked through. You know, that's the thing about the parables. There's like 40 of them. And so, you know, you get the chance to work your way through different and various parables. And I love uh, the diversity of the things that Jesus taught. Now, I'm in Luke 12. I want to read the parable of the rich fool. This is the, the, the text the Lord had marinated in my spirit all week. Starting in Luke 12, verse 16, I want to read down to verse 20. Read the whole parable. Then we're going to pray. It says that Jesus spoke a parable and said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'm going to pull down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And there I will put all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this very night your soul be required of you. Then whose will these things be with which you have provided? And so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for ears to hear, eyes to see. I pray that that seed would be sown in our hearts. It would grow and multiply 30, 60, and 100-fold, just like we talked about last week. Thank you for the seed of God's word at work. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Uh, you know, um, we got two little girls who you heard in that video there. That was my kids on VBS. <laughs> and what we have discovered is that if you get one of them something, you have to get the other one the same thing. Otherwise, there is a fight that ensues like you have never seen. They get very jealous. And you go camp with us, you'll find out. Same sleeping bags, same little camping chairs, same little camping mugs. They got the same pillows. And when you buy one a toy pony, you have to buy the other one a toy pony. <laughs> I mean, uh, it appears to me that humanity has been infected with greed. <laughs> Even my two little girls, man, my sweet children. I mean, I, I, I read this parable about a rich man who thought in his heart, yeah, I, I've got no room for all these crops I have, so I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to build bigger barns, and then I can eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to take it easy after that. And the point here in the parable is that, sadly, humanity has been infected with greed. You know, greed is a desire for more and more and more stuff. And um, the, the parable here actually is about the pursuit of worldly wealth. Uh, and you don't believe me that people are greedy? Let me give you some Bible verses on that. Proverbs 27. The eyes of a man are never satisfied. Man, you see one thing that someone has, and then you want what they have. You know, John said it this way in the New Testament. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, it's of the wicked one. And I, I've just seen the pursuits that people have. I mean, human nature is to strive for things. I went down to Florida two, three years ago. We did Pastors University, and you know that was an incredible continuous education course. I'll never forget the stuff that Pastor Larry was teaching us there. Pastor Larry's at 50 years in the ministry. He just did some incredible things. He's reached a lot of people. He was mentoring a billionaire, and they were at a yacht club in West Palm Beach. He was mentoring and counseling the guy. The guy was very depressed. 
They were walking around. And he was telling Larry about all his problems. And Larry said to him, you know what? what, is, what, what, what why do you struggle so much? You have, you're a billionaire. Your children are doing well. You've got nothing to worry about. And the man stopped and he pointed at a yacht. And he said, do you see that man's yacht? It's bigger than mine. He's worth $80 billion, and I'm worth $3 billion, and I can't figure out how to get more wealth. I mean, some of y'all just feel like you're rich if you've got a couple thousand dollars in the bank, right? Yeah, but see, it, it, it's, it's funny. That, that tends to be the human condition that we're in sometimes. I guess there's no fool like a rich fool, no fool like an old fool, unless, of course, you're a pool fool, poor, poor fool or a young fool. Then you're just a fool. And Jesus is kind of just drawing his attention to this parable here. He's highlighting something. He, he, he's what I'm going to call the countermeasures of covetousness. These are, these are like um, the antidotes for your avarice. You know, avarice is the greed. Um, I'm going to give you a vaccine for veracity this morning. Uh, and the parable here is about overcoming opulence. I, I really feel like the Lord's, you know, worked things out in my life. I mean, I, I, so I, I want to just walk us back up to the beginning of the chapter. Look at verse number 13, if you go back up. It says, one from the crowd said to Jesus, he said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, in, in Bible days, the oldest son would get the bigger part of the inheritance. And so there was, you know, maybe arguments and fights over those things. That's what happens with people. But Jesus said to him, man, he's like, bro, chill out. Who made me uh, your estate attorney? I'm not an arbitrator or judge in this situation. So he said, here's what he said. Take heed and beware of covetousness. Someone say covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Now, I'm reading through this verse here. And the Lord just put a word in my spirit. It's a word he has been working in me. And that word is the word contentment. The first, you know, uh, countermeasure here, your, your antidote for covetousness is the word contentment. Contentment is the cure for covetousness. It, contentment is a fulfillment. It's a satisfaction. It's this, you know, sense that I'm at peace and I'm, I'm at rest. And I'm, I'm happy with the things that I have. It's a gratifying feeling. And I like what the Bible says about it. He, he said in Hebrews chapter 13, the writer said this. He said, let, uh, let your conduct be without covetousness, just like what Jesus said. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said... I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Apparently, if you've got Jesus, you really do have all that you need. That's, that's kind of what the parable is painting us right here. I love 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And this is a word for me because it's something God's really been deeply working in my spirit. And I have discovered that idolatry operates through covetousness. When he said you got to beware of covetousness, he's saying you have to beware of idolatry. And, you know, idolatry is alive and well in the 21st century. We're not out, like, bowing down before golden cows. But I do know people who bow before the bull on Wall Street. I've been to Wall Street. I've seen that bull. I mean, people go take pictures. There's this pursuit in America for worldly wealth. That is a real thing. But God's not opposed to you having wealth. He's just opposed to the wealth having you. Yeah, contentment is his cure for covetousness. Now, I read the verse here. It tells me that contentment does not come from things. It doesn't come from stuff that you have. You know, happiness comes from stuff. 
it's fun to have like a boat. Except that boat stands for break out another thousand. Because they, they tend to break down. You're having fun until you get lost in a lake somewhere. Or you know, older cars, people put together, so much fun to have a muscle car until you get a flat tire. And then you kind of you know, have to figure things out. I mean, like th- those things provide happiness but not contentment. Contentment does not come when you compare yourself to other people or you compare yourself to the things that other people have. Because you know what happens with... Uh, with that is two things happen. When you compare yourself, you're either going to feel depressed, like you do when you go on social media and see someone's life looks better than yours, or you're going to, you know, get a massive ego because you think, ha, I got it better than they do. I mean, it's a bit of a trap, right? There's no contentment that can be found in there. But when I read the verse, what I discover is that you can find contentment in any situation you're in. That's a, think about Paul, the apostle Paul. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound, Philippians 4.12. I've learned to be content in all things. He wrote that in prison. I've been to one of the prison cells he was kept in. It, it wasn't very nice. And yet he found himself in a place where he was content. And listen, I, I've not been put in prison for preaching the gospel like Paul was. But my wife had a job at Hobby Lobby. And I had to go into Hobby Lobby with her and smile and act like I wanted to be there. But I had to find contentment. Going around, smiling to all the co-workers. And, uh, I have no business being in Hobby Lobby. If, I, if my wife's not with me, I'm not going there. But I found I can be content in any situation. I, I can, I, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I can be content in Pakistan as if it was you know, South Florida. I, I can be content. Contentment comes. Really, if you want to know where it comes from, it comes from knowing God. Yeah. And that God is a good God. Yeah. And I love the 32nd verse of this chapter. He said, fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know where I get contentment is when I start dwelling on the fact that God is good. And I dwell on the fact that he loves me, that he cares about me, he's for me, he's not against me. And even though I might get frustrated with some situations and circumstances, like I'm telling you, he is good. His goodness gives me a sense of contentment that helps me get through things and helps me flee. Uh, you know, flee in my mind some of the pressures of life. There's something wonderful about being content that will free you from a desire to have something that, that maybe is outside of God's plan for your life. Let me give you a second countermeasure. And, you know, we read the verses here about, you know, what's taken on and in, this, in this passage of Scripture in the parable. Look at verse 20. I like what God said to him. He said, thou fool. This very night, give an account one day, will be required. Interesting word, it means you're going to give an account. You're all going to give an account one day. You're going to give an account. This guy was good at making you know, accounting. He had chalked up all his barns. He knew the state of his flocks, but he's going to have to give an account of his life. And then he asked the question, who, who will those things be with which you have provided? Now, I, I take what the text gives me. So when I read this passage of Scripture and God's saying, Hey, Jesus is saying, you, you, listen, tonight your soul could be required of you. Yeah, I'll tell you what, does. it scares me a little bit, all right? And it reminds me of this little thing that we call the fear of God. You want to talk about how to deal with covetous behavior and your lack of contentment? We could talk about the fear of the Lord, which I think is like an exceller for your excesses. That the fear of the Lord is really a subject in the modern church today, which not a lot of people know about. I mean, 
we have neglected this doctrine so much and the theological pendulum in America today has swung so far over into the side of grace where we, we, like, we just think that God is this happy, benevolent grandpa in heaven and you forget about other doctrinal truths about it. Man, I was counseling with a young couple this week. They wanted to meet in my office and the kid was telling me, I know the Bible. I've read it twice, he said. I know we're not supposed to judge people. He's saying all that stuff, talking to me and and, you know, he was telling me how he'd lived piously. And, you know, never mind the fact that he'd had multiple children out of wedlock with people, sleeping around with them everywhere. I had no thought about some of the things in the city he was caught up with, te- te- pre- preaching like he knew everything. I mean, the, the, the fear of the Lord is like lost. It, it, kids, people don't have a clue about it sometimes. No one seems to understand it. What are we talking about when we talk about the fear of the Lord? I like Proverbs 1.7. It just defines it for you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But I, I really never, it's hard to wrap my mind around that. What did that mean? How, how does that work? Well, you know, I was thinking about in, in my own home and the relationship I have with children, my children. For that relationship to work, you know what has to happen? The, the, the beginning of that relationship is for children to respect me. They have to respect the authority figure in the home. There has to be a sense that there, there's no pets that dad's given them. I'm sorry, y'all. I hate to burst your bubbles. <laughs> Daddy's the boss. And in the home situation where I'm not having pets right now, right? Maybe someday, but not now, not in this home. But that relationship works when it's established as daddy is the boss. It's, it's, that's how it works in a marriage. I mean, the, the Bible says, you know, that, 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 that women need love, but it tells us that men need to be respected. And so when we talk about the beginning of knowledge, it's the baseline. It's the beginning point. You have to have a respect for how awesome and how mighty and how amazing and how how, how out of this world God is for you to draw near to him. He's so much beyond your comprehension. I mean, he's God. He's awesome and mighty and holy. You know, he's not just to be cheated lightly. And if you're going to know him, you got to know that about him. The fear of the Lord brings you know, contentment into your life. And it, because what it does is it provides you with this eternal perspective, a perspective bigger than the one you have, your limited, finite thoughts about it. Now, it's interesting. If you jump back up to the beginning of the chapter, look at verse number four, Luke 12, four. He said, my friends, he's talking to, he's talking to his disciples, people close to him, and he's warning them as friends. He said, don't be afraid of people who just kill the body. And after that, they have no more they can do. Oh, he said, I'll tell you who you ought to fear. You ought to fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast you into hell. That's who you ought to fear. This is Jesus, and he's talking about hell. He had more to say about hell than anybody else. You know, he's just, you know, teaching here on the fear of the Lord. The writer of Hebrews said, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And here we are up on the 21st century and it's like, man, we kind of so overemphasize grace, people can't even tell what sin is anymore. They've forgotten about some of these Bible doctrines. It, it, this verse also tells me, when I read these things, you know, when I read this parable about the rich fool, it tells me that wealth is temporal. That money is a temporal thing. It, m- money is not going with you into eternity. Do you know that? You can't take it with you. It, it, it is something that, that God sort of... He, he didn't, there's nothing eternal in the value of the stuff and the accolades and the the wealth that's accrued and real estate. Nothing eternal about that. 
it also, so, so wealth is sort of temporal. It's also a trivial thing in the eyes of God. Apparently, he doesn't think a whole lot about it. Because, you know, he dwells in a place where they got gold on the streets. He ain't hurting for money. He doesn't think much about it. He values people. That's what's valuable to God. Not stuff. It's people that he cares about. The, this, this story, it tells me that what money is is a test of your loyalties. Money will test you unlike anything else. And he, he's going to get to the point here about being rich towards God and all those things, but in the here and the now, the way that you handle a checkbook and how generous you are with the Lord, it really gets to the heart of what's got a hold of your heart. That's what he's telling us in the story. You know, when I think about the fear of the Lord, Isaiah 33, he said something great. He said, the fear of the Lord is a man's treasure. It's a valuable thing. It's not trivial. It's not something that you, you know, just, just whatever. It's a treasure that people have. And, you know, when I was thinking about fear, I heard it said like this, there's, there's two types of fear. There's rational fear and irrational fear. I was driving up Hell Roaring Plateau the other day. Have you ever been there outside of Red Lodge? It's my mom. We drove up there. High school. Remember that? She got, I got a quarter of the whip. You screamed at me. Maybe turn down. Turn around. So you know, I took people with me this time who couldn't shout me down. I took my children. Yeah, and they were scared. But you know, we got up to a place there. Where the bridges washed out. We couldn't go past it. But it's rational to think I don't want to drive too close to the edge because you've got a thousand feet down. It's rational to think I don't. I don't know. That, that I want to get too close over here because it's beautiful, but it's fearful. That's the fear. That's a rational thing. Irrational fear would be like, I can't sleep out in the woods because I'm worried about the bears. <laughs> I wish my wife was in here for this one. She's with the kids. She gets this later, Elizabeth. You know, I'm talking about you. <laughs> it's rational to, to make safe precautions. It's irrational, you know, when you, when you worry about things that are outside of your control. And, and so when I think about the fear of the Lord, it's a treasure because you know what it does is it keeps me from sin. I don't want to get too close to that edge, man. The fear of the Lord reminds me of consequences that will come if I live in sin. The fear of the Lord reminds me that there's a heaven to come and a hell to pay for. If thing. I mean, it keeps me flowing. The right. It's a treasure of mine. I love it. And it keeps me focused on things that matter and brings contentment into my life. Now, let me give you... Uh, a third countermeasure here. Uh, speaking of treasure, it's so interesting. Verse 21, he, he kind of boils it down here. This is the point of what he's saying. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. There's a lot in this verse right here. First thing I want to highlight, this, this, this countermeasure here, this, this antidote, for, it would have to do with the word generosity. Now we've gotten to generosity. Uh, generosity is an antiseptic for selfishness. And in fact, when I was looking at how to define generosity, one of the dictionaries simply said unselfishness. That generosity means that you are an unselfish person. You put the needs, the desires, and the wants of other people ahead of yourself. And the Bible, it has a great verse about generosity. Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous man will be blessed, and he who waters will himself be watered. Here's what Jesus said, Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will men put back into your bosom. It appears that as generous as you are people, you'll get it back to yourself. And I really love Isaiah 32, verse 8. It tells us that a generous man devises generous things, and in his generosity, he's going to stand. When you are generous with people, God will be generous with you. It'll come back to you. 
Now, I, I want to be known as a generous person. My dad had that reputation. I remember I was working at FedEx, you know, 20 years ago. And it was like when my, my father passed away. I go into FedEx there. And, you know, I was met by the secretary. She said, uh, I was one of your dad's clients. And when I was in a time of need, he gave me 100 bucks. And so she stopped right there and just blessed me. You know, she had the company send me flowers. I mean, they, I was, but it, it, it came back. And I've met people to this day who remind me about dad being generous. Generosity is revealed in that readiness you have to give because it feels so good to be a blessing to somebody else. Now, you know, the thing about generosity, people hear it, they start thinking about, you know, only about money. Let, let me just give you some ways you can be generous. You can be generous with your thoughts. That's how God is with you. Psalm 40, verse 5, man, it says that God has thoughts towards you that cannot be numbered. He, he thinks so highly of you that, that it's innumerable. I mean, how incredible is that? Because I don't think all those good thoughts about you. And I know you don't think those are about me because we're people, we're finite. But God loves you so much, he, he, he thinks well of you. And I guess the way that that means we ought to apply it is that you should be generous with people, you should look for their best qualities. You know how easy it is to pick up low-hanging fruit and find things that people aren't very good at? But it might be a little higher up the tree in your thought life for you to be able to identify good things about people. Be generous with them. Find the things that they do well. Dwell on those things. It's not just if it's in your thoughts, you know, it's going to manifest is in the words that you speak to someone. You ought to be generous in your, with your words. Find ways to express what, what you do well, what you think they do well. I, I'm looking for that all the time. Affirmation is a powerful thing. When correction is necessary, that's great. But I've found children need affirmation as much as they need correction. Yeah. It encourages them. It builds confidence in them. They need to be told, good job. They need, like I tell Titus, if he did something well, I said, look what you did. This was good. And he perks right up. Your spouse needs to be complimented. If she looks good. You know, if she's made wonderful dinner for you, if the house is clean, I don't know. If the husband fixed the car, I compliment them. You know, elderly people should be honored and appreciated, and you ought to respect people who are in authority. You know, the cops were staking around in my house this week. They were trying to be sneaky about it. I drove up to one of them. I rolled down the window, and I said, you're over here watching on my street, call see him? And he was like, huh, what you talking about? And I said, I live there, and I wanted to say thank you. And then he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to find a way to express, you know, gratitude. <laughs> Be generous with your money. Oh, man, this is a tough one. Uh, apparently, money isn't the thing God cares the most about. He cares about people. I was saying that. He cares about the value of a soul. And I was telling you, he tests hearts with it. That's what this verse is, man. It's about you putting God first place, uh, generous not just with your money, with your stuff. I mean, who can you be a blessing to? When, when you've got possessions that you can use, what a blessing it is when you can use those things to better somebody else. You know, it, it has to do with you being generous with your influence. And, and that influence that you have, I mean, I'm always grateful when I can learn something from someone. You know, they, they fix something in my house, I learn something, and, and that influence that they have accrued over time gets deposited in me. Man, I am grateful when people can teach you something and be generous with the things that they know. Generous, 
Generosity is like also with your time. For you to be generous with money, for you to be generous with your influence and your time, it requires that you be a steward. You have to be able to use your time wisely. My best time goes to my best people, man, my children. And, and, and then I have other things that I allocate my time toward, but I want to make sure that I, I'm there and I'm alive and well locked in for the people that matter to me the most. My best time goes there. It, it's funny being uh, a dad and 42 because it seems like I got no time. I, I, I've been you know, hanging out with some 20-year-olds. and I'm amazed at how video games they get to play. You know, I'm like, man, I... I kind of miss it. I used to be able to watch a whole basketball game, a whole football game, and I'd watch them all the time. And, and then somehow the 30s happen and you get children and the 40s happen. It's like, you got no time. I'm lucky if I catch the fourth quarter right now. I mean, it flies by. I got, it's like time is so finite. You never get it back. You get to a point, it, it's valuable. But I, it, it, there's times to be generous with it. There's times when you got to give and, and help people and you know, help your mom and grandma when the basement flood and just be a blessing in the way that you can. Don't be selfish with it, man. That's the point of the parable. Be generous towards people. Be generous in your life. You do that, you'll do well. That is an antidote for selfishness and covetousness. Now, let me, let me give you number four, a fourth countermeasure here. Here's your antidote for avarice, number four. Same verse, verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself. And then the phrase here, and is not rich towards God. Here, here's what he's talking about. A rich relationship with God. A rich relation. Now, I looked this first up in the New Living Translation, and that's exactly what it says. He said, so is he who does not have a rich relationship with God. That's what the words seem to indicate, a, 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 a deep, meaningful relationship with God. If you have that, God will bless you. You know, I got accused one time of being a prosperity preacher. I was like, okay, I'm guilty. Let me give you tip 101 about how you can be a prosperous person. Love God with all your heart and soul, and he will prosper and bless your life. The deeper relationship you have with God, the more he will bless you Amen. in that heart. That's all through the Old Testament, and you can find it in the New Testament. I like what his eyes not seen, nor has he heard, nor have entered the heart of men, the things God has prepared for people who love him. Oh, I'm telling you, if you get close to the, you draw near to him, he will draw near to you, and I'm just telling you who he is. It's like you can't help but experience his blessing, his provision, his favor, his goodness will manifest in your life. I've walked it. I've seen it. I, I understand it. How are you going to have a rich relationship with God? Now, I, I, I do feel that this is something the Lord's been working in me recently. I, I mean, it, it's like uh, so I have these things taking place in my heart in a, in a deeper way, in a deeper capacity. It's, it has to do with that time moves so fast and you realize you don't have much of it left. I'm, I'm like half my life, man. I'm 40. It's like it's going by fast. And, and, and God is putting something in me that just wants to know him deeper. Man, I hope that you in your life are experiencing the same thing. How are you going to put God first, have a deep relationship with him? Well, you got to put him first. Verse 29. He's, look what it says here. It's interesting. He had the parable and then he jumps down and he starts teaching. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink nor have an anxious mind. Do you know how many people have anxiety today? And I'm telling you, a lot of anxiety has to do with you just trying to keep up with things and worry about stuff. And people live with such anxiety. I guess it's not just our generation, it's generations before us, because Jesus said that all the, these things the nations of the world are after. 
And, and then he said, I love what he said, the Father knows you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things, he said, shall be added to you. So he is your first priority. If you really want to have a deep relationship, he's got to be number one. And, you know, when you hear that, you think about your finances. Like, I'm a lifelong tither, I like to tell people. I tithed when I was backslidden because I wanted God to bless my beer money. And he did because I got saved. I got my heart rededicated back to him. I mean, he, he like, I... I, I I've always sought to do that in my life, and I, I love to tithe. I love to put him first. I love to watch how he comes through in my life. I put him first. He's my first priority financially. That demonstrates trust like nothing else, man. He, he's my first priority. Yeah, the, the great verse here, God knows the things that you need before you ask him. I went to a meeting one time, and I, I didn't really want to be there. It was, it was, a, it was a pastor from Great Falls. He was preaching, and, and, and so we came kind of late. I sat in the back row. I had just in the car with my wife. And I was like, listen, man, this is a problem in our lives. It, it, it was a church issue. I said, I've got to have this situation resolved. I, I need that. So I'm sitting there, I'm drinking a latte. And you know, that, that pastor, he walks back over here and uh, he, 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 he looked at me and he looked at the guy right next to me. And he said, uh, you're a pastor, pointing to me. And he said to me, the guy next to me, you're a pastor. The guy next to me was this dude named Lester Hall. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. He got two for two. You know, I was like, all right. So... He, he then told me exactly what I had told my wife in the car. Like it was, it was like verbatim what I'd prayed. And he gave me the answer to it right there. He had my attention. And it was like God was just telling me in that moment, I already know what you need before you ask for it. Now, I told you I was driving up Hellboring Plateau. Have you ever been up that road? Children screaming, boulders everywhere. I took my Suburban up there. You know, that Suburban's 20 years old. Um, but, you know, I, it's mechanically sound. The, the, the guy who had it was like, he, my mechanic, he's like, dude, there's new struts on this. Everything's great. This is a great ride. But, you know, vehicles do have a lifespan in there, right? Yeah. So God knows that I'm going to need another Suburban because God's the master of the world and a master mechanic. He understands how they work. <coughs> and he's already made provision for it. I got a mother-in-law moving down here with us. He knows at some point we're going to need a bigger house. And you know what? He's already understood that and made provision for it. I asked him, he already knew for it. I mean, that's what the, the, the way he is. He is aware of what, you, when you put him first, seek first the kingdom, he's going to take care of you. Yeah, you got to put him first. You, you also need to, uh, if you want to have a deep, rich relationship with God, spend time with him. Man, I'm a huge believer in daily quiet time. I love it so much. Now, I'm trying to get in this habit of using this tablet for everything. I'm trying to preach off it. Because, you know, if I go overseas or if I go somewhere, it's got everything. I need everything right there. You get computer programs. I've got a couple thousand dollar Bible software program. I can pull up stuff. I can look at it. I can do everything that I need to on it. I mean, it's just technology is remarkable. It's wonderful. It's just, and, and so if you can learn how to use it, it's effective. So I'm trying to take this everywhere I go. But you know what will happen Wednesday morning? I can't find my tablet. Mm. I came to the office. I had breakfast, but I was hungry for something else. I was hungry for some devotional time. I called Elizabeth. She can't find it. And you know, being a man, I'm like, oh, she just didn't look hard enough. I went home. It wasn't there. I came back here. I started praying. And then I decided to check the back seat of the Suburban. That's where it was. Yeah, right there. She looked there the whole time. But I tell you what, I had a hunger for that. I mean, I wanted to have devotion. It's like I wasn't satisfied without it. And that's how you get to know God. And I've just had 
just just you know, incredible time in the last you know few months here just of him depositing and working things in my heart, man. He, and and oh, that that is how you get to know him. You spend time with him. You got time, for, you know, to roll on Facebook reels, Instagram. We need time to read your Bible. Yeah. Uh, when I think about how to have a deep, meaningful relationship with God, I'll tell you what it requires is your submission. Man, submitting to his will. As I talk about children. You know, they, if you want to have a relationship in the home, we have to have submission. They made forts in our house last night. The house was covered in forts, and they demanded to have a sleepover in there. And I said, not tonight because we have church in the morning, but if you will put this away and be good about it with a good attitude, we can sleep in the forts tonight. And that got them. They, they submitted. They put everything away, and we'll see how tonight goes, right? <laughs> Submission to, to someone. Now, like Elizabeth submits to my leadership. I, I, I can be a clown. I've made bad mistakes. I try to consult her. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm a dictator. But it's one of those things where, you know, she'll submit. If, if the church is the same thing. If I really feel strongly about something, that, that's how it works, submission. And I do the same thing in the will of the Lord. I want to submit my heart to him. Because I found out that if I don't submit fully to him, things get in trouble. I might get off somewhere. My heart is, it's too small for the things of the world and for yourself, for the kingdom of God and yourself. And you, you got to keep your heart with all diligence. And you have to keep uh, your attitude submitted to him. You know that complaining is rebellion? And I have done a fair share of complaining. I mean, I've questioned God back and forth. And it could be that's the reason why I'm like, mm, I've, he's working in my heart, man, mm, correcting things in me. A deep, meaningful relationship with God. You know, it's a funny thing with children. They, they, like everybody else, they have been infected with that greedy thing. They want more toys and stuff. But they also infected me with a head cold. <laughs> That's just the way it goes with children. So, Hey, you have been infected. It's called a symptom that you're born in the world. And that means inside every person, there's this fleshly battle where you maybe covet things or you desire things other people. And all that Jesus is saying right here, it is I've got a vaccination for it. It's called the Word of God. Uh, it gets in your heart. It renews you from the inside out. And maybe it has to do with you being content. You know how you can tell when people are content? They can rest. They're at peace. They're not striving for things. There's a calmness to them. They have the peace of God. They're really not so concerned about trying to keep up with someone else because they know that God is with them. And that peace, that's what he said. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm telling you, contentment is a great thing. It's a witness to the world. And when you are content, God can give you all kinds of amazing things to bless you because he knows it doesn't have your heart. He loves to bless his children. It's his good, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Uh, you know, it, you, when you think about your heart and where it might be at, man, I mean, you might have to deal with acknowledging that maybe you've got to grow in the fear of the Lord. Maybe there's no fear in your life. You are not aware, perhaps, of just how awesome God is. Have you stopped to think about how amazing, how big, how large, how holy he is? Man, we, we see in a dim light. You're talking about the God of the universe. And sometimes people have the audacity to question what he's about. It, it, nothing else could demonstrate your lack of the fear of God than an attitude that's running wild, demanding to know why he hadn't done things. He's God. And there's something about understanding his greatness that makes you just kind of Submit and enjoy who he is. Or maybe it's generosity. I know people who are stingy. I know people who are generous. 
And when I think about the difference, you know, the thing about a generous person is that people who are generous are gracious. They're not critical. But if you can be generous with, with, with your words and your thoughts towards other people because you are walking in love, that's attitude of generous. And it will come out in all kinds of different ways, man. It'll come out in various you know, ways that you communicate, things that you do, stuff that you give, ways you can be a blessing. It, it all has to do with, you, are you gracious or are you uber critical people? I see it. Yeah. And I think about this last point I talked about, man, the, uh, the, the, the rich, deep relationship with the Lord. I, was, I, I really feel God doing that in my life. I feel like he's deepening something to me. And I just say, Lord, have your way. I was just, you know, I was, I was praying again this morning. During worship, what a great time we had in worship. Mm. And I, I tell you, I, I was sitting here, and the Lord just highlighted some, some things to me. Now, my friend Brett right here, Brett, is that right? Yeah, yeah so Teen Challenge. And, and uh, this dude, I met him six, eight months ago. I was telling him, man, it's like he had no church background, didn't really much know the Lord. And I looked at him today. I was like, dude, you're a different man. His face has changed, like the demeanor. And when I, when I was praying, and I was just sitting here worshiping, I feel like the, the, a deep relationship has begun in your heart the Lord has deposited a seed in you that's going to keep growing and flourishing. And I want to pray for that seed to take root. I think God has got great things ahead of you you've never even thought about, man, that, that will be revealed to you. So will you reach a hand here towards Brett? Stand up with me, Brett. Will you stand up? I want to just declare things over you. I want to declare the promises of God. God, head to toe, increases knowledge of you, put a burning desire, and reveal, Lord, your purpose for him. Lord, so, oh, Lord, I just thank you for, oh, Lord. Yes, the deep things of God cry out. Eyes not seen, nor is he heard, nor have the heart of man things God has prepared. But God has prepared things for them that love him. And I pray that love in his heart would just keep growing, multiplying. God put the right people around him, increase him, increase his knowledge of you. Put a hunger and a desire for him. And I see that. And uh, it's funny because, you know, the enemy loves to come in. And he loves to try to sift things. But I declare and pray that you will stand strong and firm in the middle of tests that come your way. I, I declare that in the name of Jesus. I pray you be fruitful. You be a fruitful believer in Jesus' name. Thank you, Brett. I'm proud of you. Yeah, yeah. And I was telling you, Hannah, uh, just for the service here, this is, this is strange. You, you came to my mind, and, and you said something so interesting to me. Because, you know, I'm preaching from experience. I'm just saying this from experience, Hannah. Sometimes when I've had God deal with me the most, it's been through chastening. Chastening is a forgotten doctrine in churches. Hebrews 12 says that God chastens people he loves. And I have been, you know, corrected by the Lord. He's dealt with things in me. And I feel like that you have this very soft, tender heart. And if you will keep your heart open like you're doing, God will bring truth to you in a way that you are, will be blown away by. He's going to answer some things in your heart. That's what we've been saying for. Remember I talked about clarity? So I want to encourage you, do not be afraid of the chastening of the Lord when it comes, because he does it to people who love him. Mm. He chastens, he works in our hearts, man. Has he ever chastened you? He does it because he loves us. He does it because he, he cares. The, oh, I'm looking, yeah, I know, I know he's dealt with you on things, man, I know. I, I'm ready, I say, come Lord, have your way. I, I want to pray that, I want to pray deep relationship with God and the people of God. Father, I just thank you, a deep and a burden in our hearts and minds. I pray for generosity. I pray this, this word that we taught, this parable, is going to bear fruit in people's lives, 30, 60, and 100-fold, just like we said, they get deep down in hearts and minds.
Contentment, I declare it in the name of Jesus. I receive it for my own self, God. I pray you help me become more of a content person in every area of my life. And I thank you for the fear of the Lord. Thank you that it's being taught and appreciated. We treasure it. We value it. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Amen and amen. Man, I just feel the Lord's, Lord's hand here. I want to just say one quick story here. We're going to go. I was reading about a pastor uh, who visited a multimillionaire. And the guy had like a rooftop villa. That's one thing if you got an estate, but a villa. That's great. He, he, he was showing him all his resources, the north, the south, the east, and the west. He said to the north, I, 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 I've got forest land over here that we bought. And, and I own Bolt Acres, a beautiful, beautiful place, forest reserves. And to the south, he showed him, you know, all of his oil reserves. You, he said, you look out in the distance and you can see, you know, the drilling rigs. And the pastor was like, wow, man, that, that's amazing. He said, you look over here to the east and what you're going to see is, is my, my farms, man, cattle. And we've got vast estates. I got chickens. I'm, I'm invested and diversified that way in resource. And he said, if you look to the west, you'll see there is towards town. He said, I have a thousand real estate ventures and investments where people are, you know, renting and paying me. And, I, and the pastor's like, man, you, you got it all. You're a real estate magnet. I mean, that's incredible, these investments, how, how it is. And, and so he was up there just kind of smiling about that. And the pastor said to him, I got a question for you. It's my turn to ask. He said, what about up here? And he pointed to the sky. He said, uh, you know, what, what ventures do you have there? You've got prosperity every direction. Do you have anything in heaven? And the billionaire was taken back. And that night as, as he lay there, uh, he realized that he had not been rich towards God. He had no heavenly investments and was not prepared to meet God. Now, I, I, I'm just asking the question, are you prepared to meet God? You might have things. And that's why sometimes people don't get saved because they're just so happy and content with what they have. They have no needs. But there is a need that we have, and that's the sin nature being met through Jesus Christ. And, and he's the one who can meet that eternal longing in the soul. So if you don't know the Lord and you realize you're not prepared to meet him, I want to just give you a, a chance this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed. And I, if that's you and you want to be right with the Lord, you want to meet him, you say, I'm ready for him. I want to give you a chance this morning. Hmm. Amen. All right, man, I, I see people with no hands. And so if you don't have a hand, let me just encourage you to take a hand and go reach someone else. Bless them. Find someone you can be a blessing to. Find someone you can love on. Find someone you can share the gospel with. Find someone that you can bless. Find someone you can be generous with. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up this morning. Amen, amen. You know what? You know what? Actually, you know what? Sit down. Sit down. I forgot to do something. If you're volunteering for VBS this week, how many VBS volunteers we got? Stand up. I want the VBS volunteers. Y'all sit down. Yeah, we're, I want to pray over these guys. All right. Now, uh, we're reaching kids, man. I, I, invite some kid out here with you. Bring them out to church here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a great VBS three weeks here. And I thank you it's going to be smooth. And I thank you we're going to impact children. And I thank you, Father, that people's hearts are going to come up. They're going to be changed because of this event. I pray, Lord, the protection, the blessing of God upon them. So. VBS is taking place the next three weeks, man. Wednesday night, bring a kid out. We'd love to have you be part of it, man. We're so grateful for you. I love you very, very much. You all can stand up now. I love you. We're doing the Next Steps class here in about 20 minutes, 11.45 back there. If you want to get a lunch and know who we are, we'd love to have you join us. So I love you all very much.
We will catch you all next Sunday. It's good to have you want prayer. The altars are open. You're a blessing.